Ah, yes, it is that time once again, episode 37 of Double Coverage Sports Talk. A very special episode for a couple of reasons as we just jump right into it. I'm Mitch Mason alongside Luke Heaton as Dalton (laughs) is back there playing with the cameras. Uh, Thank you, Dalton. Um, So first, this is our final episode, at least for the foreseeable future, in the TechSag studios. They've been more than generous to allow us to uh, use these studios and um, rent-free, you might say. Mm. Uh, So we are thankful to that. But graduation coming up, I start my full-time employment in 19 days, a whoop. Gosh. Um, So that being said, I will be out of College Station. Luke is going to work in sports ministry up in Charlotte. Uh, So we will be continuing the podcast like through – uh, another forum. We'll right? have other technological advances. Yeah, ready. I haven't had enough time to sit down and do it, but once I'm back in, in Dallas and have my desktop ready, uh, I'll be able to run all that software. So double coverage will continue, but that's just the first part of this. The other part of this is we have maybe our biggest interview on the show today. We have former Texas A&M quarterback, former Dallas Cowboys quarterback, Stephen McGee coming on. Later in the show, you're going to want to make sure that you stick around for that uh, as we've got the draft to run down with Steven, and then we've also got uh, some questions just about his personal life, about his faith to go through as well. So a really, really big episode here uh, for uh, Double Coverage Sports Talk. And Luke, I mean, this has been quite a run that we've had uh, over the last, what, year, year and a half, I guess, of mm-hmm. doing this. How does it all kind of feel to to be near in the, the home stretch as far as us in person (laughs) it's been well we both had individual solo podcasts yes uh, over a year ago Mm -hmm. and then you came to me and was like hey why don't we do one together and I was like that's a great idea and we went from recording in your room Mm -hmm. uh to very very tight space yeah (laughs) to now we've been blessed to have the TechSag studio Mm -hmm. it's been awesome to see how the show's grown um and we, I mean, obviously we love sportsing, we love talking about our faith, so it's just been awesome just trying to enjoy it. Yeah, agreed. I cannot think of a better way to have uh, spent my time over the last year and change than uh, Gosh, I'm trying not to tear recording up the studio a podcast right now. with you. Uh, but we want to get right into it. We have uh, basically 15 minutes before we want to bring Steven on and have him be kind of the bulk of the podcast. Uh, but in this little bit, I wanted to talk about the draft. We just had that this past weekend. Uh, get some NBA quick hits from you as well, and then... Talk a little Dallas Stars hockey. They're down in the in the playoff series right now, two to one. Uh, the Stars really, really need a game four win tonight. <laughs> uh, Dalton can can absolutely confirm. Uh, but first, let's start with the the 2019 NFL Draft. Kyler Murray goes number one overall. We had that big discussion last week. I would not have done what the Cardinals did: take Kyler Murray, then trade Josh Rosen for really chump change to mm-hmm. Miami. It did happen, though. What are your thoughts on on Kyler? You know, this is the guy that Cliff Kingsbury wanted. Uh, and I kind of relate it to when a new coach comes on board at a university. It's like, for example, obviously close to home here at A&M, Buzz Williams comes in. None of these players are guaranteed a spot on the team. Buzz Williams can come in and clean house assistants, players, whatever he wants to do and make it his own team. And that's what Cliff, Kings- Cliff Kingsbury has done. He did not draft Josh Rosen. That was not his quarterback. He wanted Kyler Murray, and he went for it. So, look, if Kyler Murray's your guy, then by all means, go get him. Yeah. Now, there's questions because you have a potential franchise quarterback in Josh Rosen. 
and you haven't got to see what he can turn into, and you can never grade a guy's future career on his rookie season on an atrocious team. Right. I mean, that would be unfair to do. The, some of the greatest quarterbacks had horrible rookie years, and I brought this up before. Peyton Manning threw interceptions like anyone else. Like more, he threw an unbelievable amount mm-hmm. of interceptions because his team was bad, and he was a rookie. But you know what? I'll say this about Kyler Murray. He's small, but man, is he accurate, and he's mm-hmm. mobile. And with kind of the the new age NFL offense that Cliff Kingsbury is going to run in Arizona, they've got some fast weapons, and they've got a quarterback that can make plays, and it should be exciting. Yeah, There's I, definitely going to be some growing pains. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't expect Kyler Murray to go in there and do to just be a phenom right off the bat. I mean, because the jump from college to the NFL – from college to any professional realm, is extraordinary. Sure. And very few players are able to dominate their rookie year in any respective uh, professional sport. Mm -hmm. But it will be exciting, and it will definitely sell tickets. Yeah, according to Dane Brugler of The Athletic, he power-ranked the Cardinals draft class as third behind the Washington Redskins, which we'll get into in a second. Gosh darn it, they killed this draft. And the Buffalo Bills. Um you know, I agree. Murray is a wild card. He's explosive. He does have a very accurate arm. He has an extremely strong arm for his size, and mm-hmm. he's mobile. My only concern is if you're going to take a quarterback, before you can really tell how good a quarterback is going to be, you need two things. You need protection, and you need weapons. Mm-hmm. Well, now Arizona has the weapons, right? I mean, they already had Larry Fitzgerald, who is aging, uh, they have Christian Kirk, explosive wide receiver out of Texas A&M. The weapons that they took in this year's draft at 62, they took Andy Isabella, a little firecracker out of Massachusetts, UMass. Really, really liked him. He's very fast. They, people say he's going to live in the slot, but my question is, does that mean you bump Christian Kirk outside? I, I don't think Kirk has the size to play outside, but we'll wait and see there. They take Hakeem Butler at uh, 103, and then they took uh, they took another wide receiver, Keyshawn Johnson, in the sixth round, and then Caleb Wilson, tight end, was Mr. Irrelevant at 254. So, you know, they already have Ricky Seals-Jones as a good tight end. The Cardinals have weapons, but they did nothing to invest in the protection, and that's what got Josh Rosen killed last year. Rosen was running for his life mm-hmm. all 2018 long. So I don't see why the Cardinals didn't go ahead and invest in that infrastructure a little bit more. We saw that with the Cowboys, that if you can build an offensive line to, that can protect your quarterback and allow your running back to to find holes. I mean, they have David Johnson. He was a star two seasons ago, a little mm-hmm. bit of a down year last year. But to me, that's where it all starts, is up front in the trenches. And Arizona hasn't invested in that yet. So I'm still very, very wary of you know, Kyler's health, really. I There is no correlation between size of a quarterback and injury. The numbers actually indicate the opposite way, um, that according to the studies, the smaller you are, quote-unquote, the less likely you are to get hurt. Now, that's not the finding of the study. That's just mm-hmm. to say that the numbers do not support, you know, if you have a six six quarterback with a big frame on him, he's not going to get hurt, versus if you take Kyler, he's going to get squished like a bug. That's not been proven, and that's what a lot of the haters were saying. My question with Kyler was, I don't think he's the complete package at quarterback. I don't think once he gets out of the OU system where everything is a quick read, once he gets out of the OU system where he had four out of five offensive linemen drafted this year, I just worry that everything's going to break down and he's not going to be what we saw Kyler was in in college. But 
Only time will tell. They take Byron Murphy, the cornerback there, too. I really, really liked uh, the draft that the Cardinals had. But going to the NFC East, and that's where I want to spend the last little bit of this draft talk here, we'll get to the Cowboys in a second, but the Washington Redskins, according to Dane Brugler, killed this draft. They had Dwayne Haskins fall to them mercifully at 15 after the Giants took Daniel Jones at 6 overall. I'm still scratching my head over that. Then they have Montez Sweat at 26 overall. Montez Sweat on a lot of you know power rankings was a top 10 pick in this draft. Mm-hmm. He falls to the bottom half of the first round. They get Terry McLaurin out of Ohio State. They get Bryce Love in the fourth round from Stanford. Now, we have to see if he really comes back from injury the way uh, and, and continues to run the way that he was his junior year at Stanford, where he would have been a first-round pick had he come out. He makes a mistake now. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Goes back, gets hurt. His draft stock plummets. But still, uh, they take Kelvin Harmon in the sixth round as well. They take Jimmy Moreland, an FCS cornerback, who a lot of people are very, very high on in the seventh round. <sighs> Washington, Washington set themselves up for a lot of success. I'm looking through this draft... In the, I mean, the obvious A-plus grades are Haskins and Montez Sweat just falling in their lap. Oh, A-plus-plus, plus. right. <laughs> but they also drafted Bryce Love, mm-hmm. great pick. Kelvin Harmon was a 1,000-yard receiver at NC State yeah. this year. Really good. And then it, it pick 153, I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Ross Piercebacher, I believe is how you say it. Mm-hmm. He was talked about a lot this year. He's a very solid offensive lineman. Um, I'm not sure his potential to be a longtime starter, but definitely great for depth at offensive absolutely. line. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, you're, but that's man. what Washington did was they protected their quarterback. They already have a decent offensive line, mm-hmm. but then they go and they spend some value picks to go get depth offensive linemen. That's what the Cardinals really didn't do. Mm-hmm. They took one offensive lineman. I they think. took two offensive linemen in the sixth and seventh round, and then four right. pass catchers. Yeah. So I, you know, how how much are those guys going to help you? But yeah. to your point. Dwayne Haskins, a pretty, really, really solid pick, especially at 15. That is incredible value. Yeah, and he'll start right yes, away. Yes, he will. The Redskins have found their quarterback. I think he's going to really push Colt McCoy for that starting quarterback spot, especially because we don't know if Alex Smith will ever play football again. Yeah, my unfortunately, my guess is no. Yeah. Um, at this point, why would you come back from that, right? Yeah, and I understand loving the game, but even... I mean, let's. It's not even guaranteed that he can come back. Right. I mean, you, we just saw the the Bears tight end retire. Um, I oh, think it was last year after the, the Zach Miller. Yeah, the the, the awful horrific, knee injury. Yeah, against uh, New Orleans. and he retired after three years. And, and he almost lost his leg that night. Yeah, That's how and bad that that, that was the similar was. injury to, um, the UCF quarterback. Mackenzie Milton. And they've yeah. been talking on the phone. So, I mean, that's a very – these Just injuries are – walked for the first time yeah. in five months. These injuries are very week. serious. It's not a guarantee like, oh, I'll give him a year to recover. Like, yeah. that's not at all that's, a guarantee. I mean, it, forgive me, it is a little graphic, but when you have your leg mangled, twisted that badly, yeah. it cuts off blood supply yeah. to your lower leg. And that's what happened to Zach Miller. That's what happened to Mackenzie Milton. It's what happened to – Jalen Smith, the Cowboys. Yes, Jalen Nerve Smith, damage. You had nerve damage. And Alex Smith – uh, actually had infection set in in yeah. his leg. So when you lose that critical blood supply, you really, really you know, get in some deep trouble there. Uh, going through the rest of the NFC East, I'm scrolling through the power rankings right now. The Eagles end up at eight. They took Andre Dillard to tackle out of uh, Washington State. I really liked Dillard. I was surprised he fell to 22. And then with 53, they get Miles Sanders running back out of Penn State. Sanders has some huge fumbling concerns, but he's 
an efficient runner. He's very powerful. He's not Saquon Barkley, he's but he's a classic Eagles running back. He is. He's a tough-nosed guy. I think if you can get him in your uh, in fantasy, like I'm doing a dynasty league, I think Miles Sanders very very good in space, good value. I think he's really going to push. I mean, because right now Jordan Howard is the starter in Philly, and he's been dropping off over the last several years. So I think Sanders has they could a really split good reps shot. very likely. Absolutely. So if you're you know in fantasy football, I would definitely consider picking up Miles Sanders. Uh, scrolling, continuing to go down the list. The Giants had a terrible draft, so I know they're going to be at the bottom. The Cowboys, also according to Dane Brugler, didn't draft super well. Uh, they fall out of the top 20. I'm just going to search real quick because <laughs> I can't find them. Uh, 31, Dallas Cowboys is where they're listed. Dane did not like Tristan Hill. That was the first pick that the Cowboys mm-hmm. took with 58 overall. He really thought they should have gone safety. I did too. Yes, defensive tackle is an area of concern for the Cowboys, but Tristan Hill had a lot of issues with his coaches at UCF. First of all, he wasn't even a starter in his last year there. He was a depth guy. He had some uh, attitude concerns. He would get into it with his coaches, but Rod Marinelli really pushed to go get Tristan Hill, and that's who the Cowboys get. They took a guard, uh, Connor McGovern, with their third-round pick, and then some just really... Some really odd picks, I'll put it that way. They go Tony Pollard, running back out of Memphis. He was the backup to Darnell Henderson. They take him in the fourth round. I don't know why they took him over a guy like Travion Williams, who fell to the sixth round, but that's what they did. Cornerback Michael Jackson, and then uh, seven picks later, edge rusher Joe Jackson, both out of Miami. Uh, They take Donovan Wilson in the sixth round, a safety out of here, Texas A&M, and then running back Mike Weber and edge Jalen Jelks out of Oregon. There's just not a lot of impact that the Cowboys got out of this draft and I mean you don't need a ton of impact they have most of their depth chart already set Mm -hmm. so you're looking for those gems but you know Dane doesn't seem to like him I wasn't really thrilled with him Dane lists Tristan Hill as his questionable pick the only team that had a worse draft according to Brugler was the Miami Dolphins which they reached for Christian Wilkins in the first round and then they took a bunch of no-name guys basically after that yeah um looking for the Giants here I can find them uh the Giants ranked 26th uh the questionable pick according to Dane Brugler was taking Dexter Lawrence with 17th overall I would say that your questionable pick has to be Daniel Jones I mean you and I talked about that none of us neither of us was high on Daniel Jones yeah Daniel Jones is a safe quarterback that lives with the dink and dunks yeah now he Duke was able to win some games because of him, because Duke was horrible. But also, a sixth-round pick quarterback shouldn't lose fifty-two to seven. Yeah, no, I he's agree. not going to take. <laughs> he's not an aggressive quarterback. He doesn't make a ton of mistakes, but he he's doesn't just, have he, a super strong arm. He's just average. Yeah, and for a sixth-round pick, you cannot draft average. Yeah, I saw someone immediately on Twitter put up if you if you haven't seen a picture of Daniel Jones, go Google what he looks like. Someone says he looks like the actor who plays Eli Manning in a movie about Peyton Manning's life. Like, (laughs) he has this Manning-like quality about him, and he's friends with the Mannings. He's gone to the Manning Passing Academy. He's been uh, a friend, quote-unquote, of David Gettleman for a couple years. Now Gettleman's fallen in love with him. He quite literally could not be any more perfect to fulfill the Eli Manning-esque role. And if we're going down that route, then we've got two more giant Super Bowls in the future with Daniel Jones. (laughs) That's very true. The Patriots should be trembling in their (laughs) boots right now. Um, 
to wrap this up, give me your thoughts on the Cowboys draft. Are you disappointed? Are you excited about any one guy? What do you What do you think here? I mean, it's never bad to add depth to the interior defensive line. Yeah. But when you have three good safeties available at pick 58, and safety is an absolute need, you have to draft safety. And then the drafting three running backs is unfathomable. Mind-boggling. Yeah, I I don't understand why you you passed on Nasir Adderley, you passed on Taylor Rapp, and then you passed on, oh, shoot, who was the third guy? Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, you passed on him, him in later rounds too. There was just so much safety value right there. We had been talking about if Taylor Rapp fell to 58, Oh my goodness! Everyone lose their minds. You're gonna go get Taylor Rapp. Mm-hmm. If Nasir At- Nasir Adderley was a first round pick on just about everybody's board out of Delaware. Granted, he's an FCS guy, but still, he shouldn't have been there. The Cowboys pass on him. They go get Tristan Hill. Uh, let's move on before we get to Stephen McGee very quickly to your NBA quick hitters. Houston has looked terrible in the first two games of the second round I thought it was going to be Houston in five it's looking like it's going to be Golden State in four if this trend continues what are your thoughts on the Golden State Houston game and, and the rest of the playoffs going on right now yeah I'll, I'll keep this quick um one James Harden uh the foul calls landing spot there needs to be more consistency in the offseason the ref should revisit that but also he shoots the ball completely different when he's doing step backs and yeah. critting distance. So he's kicking his legs out, which is not a foul. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm all for calling offensive fouls for unnecessary offensive kicking legs out, trying to draw contact. He has a certain genius about it because he tries to get other players in foul trouble. Steph Curry has been in foul trouble mm-hmm. both games of the series. Uh, I could see Golden. I, I can see Houston winning one game. Yeah. Uh, I think Warriors in five. Um, I'm a little worried about... Milwaukee because Boston Ooh, that first game was bad destroyed them game one but then <clears throat> Milwaukee came back dominated game two purely because Chris Middleton was seven and ten from three that's not sustainable no. so I'm a little worried about my pick for Milwaukee to get out of the Eastern Conference but I'll still hold on to Golden State Milwaukee but I'm not confident in Milwaukee well and that's what I have coming out too you're picking Golden State I'm picking Milwaukee coming into the playoffs I was really confident I thought, oh, Golden State's going to get bounced in the second round. Houston's going to mop the floor with them. It'll be Houston-Milwaukee. Houston, once again, is wetting the bed. This time they have CP3. They have no excuse um, other than, you know, James Harden crying wolf about fouls. Yeah. Houston's looked terrible. Um, and, yeah, like you said, the East is a little bit up for grabs right now. Philly, even that series as well, after a terrible game one, they bounced back. Uh, and then Milwaukee and Boston kind of trade shellackings in games one and two. It's going to be interesting to see going forward uh, for sure. But, yeah, you and I are definitely clinging to Golden State, Milwaukee, and obviously have different outcomes coming out of there. All right, well, that will do it for the first segment of this podcast. The Dallas Stars do play game four tonight against the St. Louis Blues. Stars need to get a big win uh, in their own building to even up the series before they go back to St. Louis. Just a critical, critical game four for the Dallas Stars. Ben Bishop needs to really step up there. Coming up next, we have one of the biggest interviews that we've ever done. Former Texas A&M and former Dallas Cowboys quarterback Stephen McGee is on the other side. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to episode 37 of Double Coverage Sports Talk presented by Elevated Sports. And we have Stephen McGee, former Texas A&M and Dallas Cowboys quarterback here with us. Stephen, thank you so much for a little bit of your time and coming on the show with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Who's Gumby's pizza 
keychain. That would be your redheaded friend right here. <laughs> For free, they handed it out last year, so I had to I had to cop, oh, cop one. It has nothing to do with frequent flyer rewards for your pizza rolls. <laughs> I wish it worked order. like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, well, Stephen, a big week for NFL fans everywhere as the draft was just this past weekend. We wanted to sit down and get your thoughts initially first on the draft kind of overall, and then looking specifically at the Dallas Cowboys draft is obviously a former draft pick yourself. When you look at a guy like Kyler Murray going number one overall, are you in favor of that move, or, or what do you see there? I think it's an interesting move. It's a gutsy move, but the NFL moves so quickly now from draft picks that it doesn't scare me. I think Cliff Kingsbury probably knows he has a short leash. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can have two rough seasons in Arizona and survive. So might as well go all in with a guy that you want to be your quarterback and a guy that fits your system and you know whose skill set worked in college game. My biggest argument against guys like Kyler Murray at the quarterback position in the NFL is that they've never worked before. There's never been one good quarterback with that skill set in the NFL uh, as far as a, a guy that you can build your program around. So can he stay healthy? Can that NF, can that offense work in the NFL? I don't know. Yeah. It's going to be boom or bust. That's what's so intriguing about the storyline. He didn't get rave reviews about Josh Rosen. Great. Cut bait in year one. That is, that's a hard decision to make. And so I respect the fact that they were able to do that. In your mind, what's the difference between guys like Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray? Yeah, I think... Russell Wilson is a guy that can win from the pocket consistently that's shown that. And most important is underneath center. You know, he can he can run all the hard play pass stuff and and be a, a pro formation quarterback. I've never seen Kyler Murray get under center in his entire career. Right. Can he do that? I don't know. And I think Russell Wilson has a, an absolute howitzer of an arm. Mm-hmm. Kyler Murray has a good arm. I don't think it's an elite arm. Russell Wilson probably has one of the strongest arms in the NFL. So there's a big difference there. Uh, they both throw well on the run, definitely. Yeah, I, in fact, I think Russell Wilson almost throws better at times rolling out of the pocket than he does inside the pocket. Um, a really unique skill set. I know on the flip side that you know Kyler's probably more athletic than Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Russell Wilson's been able to stay healthy. Can Kyler Murray do that too, being that more of his game relies on his legs than in my opinion it does for Russell Wilson. Continuing on the quarterback trend, let's talk about pick six. Uh, Daniel Jones. He's going to be throwing a lot of pick sixes. Do you, do you, can you like the pick as a Giants fan? Are, we, are people being too hard on the pick, or is it really that bad? I feel bad for Daniel Jones. Maybe he deserves to be in the first round. I don't really know. I didn't watch a lot of his, his game tape, but it seems like he would have been available later mm-hmm. at one of their other two picks. You know, I think teams get really scared that the guy they want to draft is not going to be available at the quarterback position. I think you can live with it if it's a safety or a defensive tackle. But when you're talking about the most important position in sports and teams convince themselves that Joe Smith is their guy, they have to have Joe Smith. He fits his skill set and his demeanor, his leadership qualities fits the organization and program, they go all in, and I think they got scared, quite frankly. I think they made a bad business decision because they could have got a really good football player at pick six and then got probably him or another good quarterback at, you know, later in the draft. Right, you look at a guy like Josh Allen who goes one pick later, 
to the Jaguars, a pass rusher. I mean, the Raiders passed on him at four. A lot He had a lot of comps to Khalil Mack, a poor man's Khalil Mack, but the comps were there. Uh, Gettleman came out and said afterwards that he, he had heard rumors two other teams were interested in Daniel Jones before pick 17. But Gosh, at they the always same say time, that. Those don't owners they? are geniuses. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> just at the same time, messing with their heads. Because you look at a team like Denver, and that's where I want to go in just a second. They took Drew Locke. A lot of people had them taking him at 10. They take him at what, 52, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, in the, the second round. How. How as a fan base do you kind of come to terms with taking a guy who was not excellent in college, right? It's it's one thing if you take an excellent college quarterback early and then he fails. But yeah. how do you rationalize taking a guy as a franchise quarterback who doesn't even have really, really elite college tape? Well, I think you have to think of it in the NBA terms. Um, we, you see a lot of guys that go number one overall in the NBA draft, DeAndre Jordan, for instance, who was really a sixth man at Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to fathom how a guy like DeAndre Jordan could be a sixth man at Texas A&M. Yeah. Uh, but he was, what, number one, two, three, I don't know, whatever, pick. And I think in the same way, they try to correlate a skill set that will fit the NFL game or the NFL mold. And I think that's what you're doing here. Now, Obviously, at the quarterback position, production does matter in college. So it's not, you know, a perfect illustration here with basketball. But, you know, I, I think it's also you got to be careful when you say the guy wasn't a good player or these guys are not all in the same situation. Sure. You know, let's take Oklahoma or Alabama, for instance. Generally, when they line up on Saturday afternoon, their team is an overwhelming favorite and should be from positions A to Z. I was on the bad team in college. We didn't have a single guy on our roster. We had probably three or four guys that could have started on a team like Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. The rest of our guys would have been scout teamers at Oklahoma. That's not a fair matchup on Sunday. So, you know, we should have gotten our teeth beat in. Same deal with Duke. You know, it's hard for me to say, well, this kid, no, it's not the Big 12 or the SEC, but you know, he probably wasn't lining up with the most talented guys around him. So that's one thing. So I think you see a lot about how the guy handles that adversity. Mm -hmm. But do you still want to see him make plays? Absolutely. You still got to see the flash. You still got to. And so I think from a production standpoint, it's this fine line of you want to see wins because you don't want a loser. But then you also understand, like Jay Cutler at Vanderbilt, that you're not going to be a 10 or 12 team quarterback. This guy probably just got – went under the radar coming out of high school. Yeah, and to your point, Duke wide receivers dropped over 9% of their passes last year, which is among the worst receiving rate in FBS. So you're right. Uh, He didn't have a lot of weapons around him to be able to support him. It's just kind of a guessing game at this point, I think, for Giants fans. Do you have a proven winner, or do you have kind of an enigma on your team right now? My my question, a little on a tangent here, is Daniel Jones is going to be groomed to be the next Eli Manning. You played in the same division as Eli Manning. What do you make of all the hatred in like the the end of his career right now? It's such a roller coaster. It is. Sometimes it's good to be a Manning, mm-hmm. and I think that name alone can get you a few extra years in the NFL. Mm-hmm. He's definitely had some good moments. Um, now. You go back to when they won Super Bowls, the Giants' defense was phenomenal. Their yeah. pass rush was 
Unbelievable. That's that's back when what's his name had ten fingers. Oh, oh uh, Jason Pierre-Paul. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Shots. Then fired. they also had Tuck yeah. and uh, Justin Tuck and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. you're right. They had some really really good D lines them and in actually the Eagles and so you know a lot of times quarterbacks get way too much credit and way too much blame you sure. know if things go good or bad and so you know, maybe Eli was the fortunate benefactor of getting way too much praise when they were winning some games. Uh, I think he's always been a solid NFL quarterback. I don't think he's ever been an elite NFL quarterback. And I think now on the back end of his career, his, his play's probably fallen off even from where it was, certainly. But being a part of some bad teams and you're the quarterback or the head coach, you're going to probably take some unfair criticism. And it's just the nature of the position. He gets compensated well enough to, to handle that. <laughs> he <laughs> he sure absolutely does. does. But he is going to the New York media, which is, I mean, among the most brutal on this planet, right? <laughs> so we're going to have to see True. how he handles uh, that media storm. Let's go ahead and look at the Dallas Cowboys. Uh what did you think about pick 58 taking Tristan Hill? I don't know if you how much you know about him, but a guy that was not a starter in his last year at UCF, a guy who had issues with his coaches there. You have a glaring need at safety, and you pass on that. Give us your, your kind of rundown on, on the Cowboys draft. This is a hard one for me because I, I don't know the guy. You know, I didn't watch any UCF games, and so you would think that when you're playing at least two guys at that position on every snap and there's a heavy rotation of guys coming in and out that at a school like UCF, the guy you're drafting the second round should be a probably three or four year starter. Yeah. yeah. So that's concerning. It's never a good thing when you have off the field issues like the, the kid at Houston, who was really talented that went Ed top Oliver. 10 at Oliver, you know, those, they can try to dismiss it and try to say, Oh, we're better people now for it and all that stuff. But I just don't really ever see the stripes on the zebra change a whole lot once they get in the, sure. get in the house. Yeah, and I think sometimes when you become a Dallas Cowboy, it there's almost this sense of you know I I really can't do wrong now, and I have this little bit of entitlement compared to some of the other franchises yeah. that are a little more under the radar, and so mm -hmm. that can kind of be an issue. And I think you've seen a lot of Cowboys struggle with that in the past sure. with off the field issues. So that's always a concern for me. Heck, they obviously saw something. He, he's probably an incredibly talented player, but I think it's a really struggle for GMs and, and coaches when you're drafting the first two rounds. Do you draft off best available, yeah. or do you do you draft off need? Mm -hmm. That I can sit here now and say, well, yeah, they needed safety. It makes sure. a lot of sense. This guy wasn't a starter, but do you really trust your board and your and the guys that you? have on your staff they have umpteen thousand of them sure. evaluating these guys and the processes they put in place to make good decisions in a moment's notice that that's that's not difficult i mean it's a very difficult thing to do but heck we don't know right fast forward and i mean will mcclay has done a great job over the last several seasons drafting right i mean in general the cowboys have drafted pretty consistently i think the only bust that you would say in the first round is taco charlton he just wasn't he? He's not a good football player. Was he's, Claiborne he, a first round pick? Well, yes, Maurice Claiborne. When we traded up to get him in, oh shoot, what year was that? They said he was going to be the best corner since Deion Sanders. Yeah, that didn't happen Gosh. exactly. So yes, that was an absolute swing and a miss. Yeah. But recently, since McClay has been there, and I don't remember what year McClay kind of stepped into that role. Uh, Char you know, Taco's really the only whiff on that. Moving to your kind of personal experience you were drafted by the dallas cowboys in the is that considered a whiff 
No, no, that's not where I'm going with that. Hey, look at the stats. No career interceptions, three touchdowns. Yeah, let me, let me be very – that was a bad set. That's pretty efficient right there. <laughs> um, take us through what it's like being selected. You were selected 101st overall. What is that like sitting uh, – do you, you have your draft party at home? Where, where were you on draft day? There's no draft party for me. There, uh, I couldn't – had anybody show up probably, but <laughs> I was back here on Hereford street at our, in a rent house and my mom and dad were in town. Yeah. And so it's actually pretty stressful. I think every draft pick thinks they're going to go earlier than what they actually do. Sure. And so, you know, I thought I was going to go in the third round and then here comes the fourth. And fortunately, you know, Cowboys traded up there and got, cause I really thought I was going to go to Denver um, or, or new England. And sure enough, man, it worked out awesome for me. Yeah. Get the phone call. First first call was actually a drop call. Oh no! Yeah, it's like the and no team will. Well, they say is there's a, you know never draft a guy that doesn't answer the call. Yeah. on draft day type of a deal, and it was a Dallas area code, and then I, it was eight one seven. I think is that Dallas, yeah. and then two one four. Yeah, and the next one was you know Jerry, you know on the other end. So Gosh, your hands just shaking. Yeah, how how, yeah. how did that sound hearing Jerry Jones come over the phone there? It was it was it was hard to believe, and actually, he I'll never forget. He told me he said, you know, we had spoken in the draft process, spent about an hour, and of course, I was talking about hunting, and he's like, yeah, I got a king, place the King Ranch, and so he says, hey, how about we go down to the King Ranch sometime and go hunting? I was wow, like, man, this is getting better. Oh man, that <laughs> so, is incredible. Never happened. Oh no. <laughs> Maybe Come on, day. Jerry. And maybe that one audio day. is somewhere and we can hold it against him. Oh, there I just, you go. I want to hear I want to hear your Jerry impersonation, honestly, with Jerry coming over the phone to a young Steven? Yep. <laughs> what do you think about being a Dallas football cowboy? <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, all I got. Oh man. That uh Wow. That was awesome right there. <laughs> How much weight was put into your combine? Like I, and I've always been curious about that. Like, how do you how do you look at someone's tape and then a combine can change everything? See, I think that's another struggle they have, and I think that's where people can probably make draft mistakes. And you know, the guy shows up and just wows them in interviews, wows them on the field in one-on-ones, wows them physically, 40s, bench press, all those th the numbers game. But then you turn the tape on, the guy kind of disappears, right? He just kind of becomes a part of the picture. And you really want the guy to, to flash. And so... You know, they always say you gotta, you gotta, you know, make sure that you're accounting what you're seeing in the combine with going back on the tape before you fall in love with the guy, mm -hmm. and and make sure he's making plays. And so, you know, that's, I think, I think some guys just get wowed at the skill set and hey man, I can develop that football player, mm -hmm. or this guy wasn't played correctly in college, played out of position. Or wasn't in an offense that fit his skill set, but in our offense, we can change him. And I think that's a scary yes, that can happen, but it's also it's scary to hang your hat on that belief too, you know. Right. I think Siri, Siri wants to try to get into this. <laughs> Siri wants to uh yeah, interject in that conversation. Uh Luke, you had a question about his college decision. Yeah, so I kinda want to flash flash back a little bit, kind of Doing a little uh, creeping on uh, articles written about you. It's called research. Re creeping. Research, of course. <laughs> Known as a passer in high school, big time passing quarterback, 
but then go to Texas A&M with a completely different offense you were very successful in. What? Why did you choose A&M? It's a good question. I, I'm not really. I, you know, I love A&M. I think there's always this belief too, kind of what we were just speaking on that somebody's going to change their stripes, mm -hmm. so to speak, and fit the offense to the players and the skill sets. And so I was 18 years old or 17 years old, didn't really know what I didn't know about offenses and football. Heck, we just dropped back and threw it deep every play in high yeah. school. And so, you know, I obviously knew that there was a run history with Franchoni, and, but I also believe this message of that we're going to be able to design the offense to throw and you know, really feature the guy playing the position. And so I, that's what I went on, you know. Yeah, and yeah. I think, though, it's important for all future recruits to definitely look at what's this guy comfortable doing? Because when they get their back against the wall, they're going to go to what they know. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if they're a pro-style guy, they're going to be a pro-style guy, spread, spread, option, option. Hmm. Yeah, you were able to throw it deep because you had a monster in Jordan Shipley. There was a, two. He was a monster. <laughs> his uh, his brother went to my high school for like a year. His dad was coach at Coppell for a year, I think. Uh, That's right. Yeah, Jackson. Yeah. Went, and then he also played at Texas, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's actually where I wanted to go next was you coming to A&M. Obviously, we're still playing Texas at this point. I grew up rooting against you, to be perfectly honest. When I was a wee lad, Texas was always on TV. Orange was, for whatever reason, my favorite color. So I distinctly remember both of your wins against Texas and going, oh, my goodness, this Stephen McGee guy is ruining my day. <laughs> what was it like to pull off a couple of those wins against the Longhorns, especially now that we don't have that rivalry anymore? Has that memory sweetened anymore? Or? And how quick does Texas hatred enter you after being an A&M? <laughs> Is that like a quick process? Yeah. You know, I don't know if I've ever been a absolute Texas hater. I think my most dislike for Texas roots in the reality that they're so arrogant. It drives me crazy. And I really, after coming to AM, I've started to feel that and sense that more. Just being around the average fan, even, was almost annoying. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just, they have this sense of we're better, we deserve whatever more than the average person. And it really comes across strong sure. around the players as well. And so it's always fun to beat them. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Definitely. Uh, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said it was just, you know, another win. It definitely wasn't. I grew up in Burnett, which is the backyard of Austin. And all the people in our neighborhood had the huge Longhorn stickers, the ones that took up the whole back window. <laughs> and you're sitting there like, you know, who in the right mind would put down the car? So then you get to talking to the people. Like, hey, what year did you go to Texas? Of course, they didn't. Ooh, They're just bandwagons. Yeah. yeah. That, so that's always annoying, too. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was definitely sweet to go in there. And, of course, you know, they were a lot better than we were both years. Yeah. And then my freshman year, first ever start, they won the national championship. And we almost beat them that day. Of course, almost doesn't count. But uh, <laughs> that would have been probably the sweetest win ever. Yeah. Knowing what we know now. Right. If that could have kept them from a national championship, that would have been great. Yeah, yeah. sure. But And, yeah, absolutely crazy to think. I was That was about as excited as I think I can be over a sporting event growing up. And then to be here all these years later, talking to a man that beat Texas and go, wow, what was I thinking? Mm. Goodness <laughs> for maturity. I still owe someone $5 on us. that game. 
You what? I stole someone. Matt Allred, if you're listening to this, I owe you $5 <laughs> from a bet in elementary school, however old I was. I bet on USC <laughs> wow, to okay. beat Texas. There you go. Yeah. I'm team conspiracy. You bet the bet. whole pi- the yeah. piggy bank is empty. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm collecting. I'm team conspiracy. Vince Young's knee was down on one of the touchdowns, but that's a, that's another day. Um, would love to change it up a little bit, talk about uh, your faith a little bit, because that's part of this podcast. Um, I guess to give context, like how, what was your upbringing like and were you rooted in Christianity or is that something you developed later? Or what was that like? Yeah. So my dad was coach for me and then retired from coach and became pastor McGee. Mm. Um, and so I've grown up in and around the church for as long as I can remember. We were the, uh, oh, what do you call it? The, the three day weekers. We were the Sunday yep. morning, Sunday mm-hmm. night and Wednesday. Oh yeah. <laughs> Wednesday night people <laughs> loading up in the van, making the trek out to <laughs> the Cannon Dams, uh, Chapel of the Hills, Baptist church, man. Still there. <laughs> Come on. It's still there folks. <laughs> Highway 29. <laughs> On your way to get your Cooper's barbecue, you stop in. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, you know, I think having, and then my granddad is certainly a huge influence in my life. Uh, He is very differently. My dad, very outspoken in his faith, uh, but my granddad, more of an action guy and really just been a servant heart, uh, served the church well, served his family well, and I think has lived out his testimony um, very loudly. And I think that those two guys have, had a huge impact in, in my life and um, certainly in my faith and, and becoming a believer. And um, still to this day, you know, just seeing the way they live has been a, a big encouragement to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being the, the stud athlete that you were um, coming to A&M, being I'm drafted not sure by the, the ever Cowboys. was that guy. You know, we're going to roll <laughs> with it for right now, considering <laughs> you right, had a lot enough. more success than either of us did. <laughs> Um, how, how do you balance being the starting quarterback for Texas A&M, being a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys and your faith? Um, cause yeah. like you talked about earlier with the pressure that comes with that, especially the, the star on the side of your helmet, guys lose their way. Um, and you know, you've seen a lot of different college athletes come in, get out from under their parents' supervision and just kind of fall off the deep end. How did you... Uh, maintain your faith and maintain kind of this starting football persona? Yeah, I think not always well. Uh, By no means I ever had it figured out and and still don't. still a challenge for me is I think sport is a great gift, but it's also can rob you of a true identity. And I think people start to believe that who you are is tied to what you do or don't do on a football field. And that is a scary cliff to live on um, because it uh, can really rob you uh, of a lot of of life and for me that was very similar I put so much weight on um, you know making the team you know being successful on the field carrying the weight of the team and winning and losing football games and the pressure of you know fan base that's upset or happy you know and vice versa Mm -hmm. so that can be a, a real struggle for athletes because of how much emphasis society puts on and importance they put on, you know, whether you are or you aren't as being a quarterback. Um, and so instead of being a follower of, of Jesus Christ, you're viewed as a quarterback. Mm-hmm. And, man, that quarterback thing's really sweet while it lasts, but mm-hmm. I'm living testimony. That's, that's short. And so 
yeah, that's, that's a thief if you allow it to be. Um, it can really rob you of, of, a, of, a, of a true joy. You know, that my job title can change a million times over, but, you know, your, your belief and your walk with Jesus doesn't. That's the steadfast rock in your life. And, and I think it's easy to sit here and say that, but when you put the star on your helmet and there's so much pressure, and even as a third-string quarterback, I was in the paper and I had the pressure, and you're still making money, and it's, it's hard. And um, we just put so much emphasis on job and career and doing and accomplishing, and, and yet we don't have to. We don't have to carry that weight. Um, well, who are, were there any players, um, two, I guess two-part question, who are some players on the Cowboys or A&M that were like-minded and helped keep you centered? And also, how much influence does like, a team chaplain have? Yeah, team chaplains have a huge influence. We were, we had this guy named Tony Evans. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Oh, I mean, yeah. just yeah. an average Joe as a team chaplain. <laughs> uh, that guy was incredible. Um, and I think, and then also, so... Tony was there for, you know, game weekends, and then we went to church of the village, and so Matt Chandler was yeah. uh, up there dividing the words. So those are some pretty average guys to, <laughs> <laughs> to take the pulpit, man, <laughs> just like you and me, yeah. you know? <laughs> just average Joes. Yeah, of course. Um, so that you know, I think those guys, and you know, just having pastors uh, walk with you, uh, and I was blessed to have that in Dallas. And just kind of refocus, right? Constantly trying to refocus and uh, on on the word and the things that matter that have an, an eternal value, and, and not get so caught up in the temporary. So I think chaplains, yes, have a have a huge role in any level. But then you know the these pastors that you've probably never heard of that really are great shepherds that pour into your life the most. And I think, you know, go to lunch with you, walk with you, go play yeah. golf with you, just hang out with you, just mm -hmm. do life with you. And I think that's where you have the most kind of, so the, the best seed. Is that, did I use that term right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the so. best seed. Yeah. Water. <laughs> so reap. Reap. Are we reaping or are we sowing? So the so I, the seed from well, the harvest. Think, you I, reap the harvest. Yeah, you reap the so harvest from the sowing pastors, the seed. The pastors are sowing the seeds, right? So yeah. that eventually that grows and, yeah. and then you reap you the harvest. Ultimately, Jesus yes. sowed the ultimate seed, and then we reap the harvest. Are we at or maybe him and we don't have our agricultural terms down? I feel like I'm being careful not to blaspheme here. But <laughs> <laughs> sowing and reaping. Yeah. <laughs> um, was there? Was there a, were you even in a more minority going to the NFL being a Christian? Like, was it even a bigger leap? Because I'm sure there are more believers in, at the college level. Or was it pretty I, much the same? I, yeah, I felt like the, the characteristics of the locker room carried over pretty, mm. pretty consistent. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of really good guys. Yeah. But being a good guy and, and, and being a, a believer, two different things, right? Mm -hmm. And so... Yeah, I, people ask all the time. It's probably the most common question you get is, you know, what was so-and-so like? Mm -hmm. you know, there's maybe one or two guys that you play with in the NFL locker room. They're like, man, that guy, that guy was a jerk. Most guys are awesome. I mean, they're really good guys, but they just make bad decisions, right? They believe the lie of the world. And so uh, we're, and we're all susceptible to that. And so man, it's, it's sad that you, you see that. I mean, it, the locker next to me was a different guy my second year was a different guy every week 
And sometimes it was because they, you know, made a bad decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's just, you know, they didn't make the team. But, um, yeah, I think that I didn't. I don't think that the money or the job title really changed whether or not there was a, a lot of believers on the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, were there any other big time players that were believers, or maybe players that people don't realize were a Christian? Yeah, I saw you know Romo really grow um in his faith uh, first year there um not so much in, in my opinion now again i'm not one to judge another man's mm-hmm. where they stand in their faith but um you know I, I always saw a lot of redeeming qualities in his life and i think as you know then he got married and then he has kids and all these things happened and i got plugged in with with chandler and really got you know, diving in with some pastors and just people speaking truth to him. And it's a lot of growth in his life. Um, And I don't know if people really see that from the public eye as much because he's not as outwardly spoken in general about anything other than football. Mm -hmm. And Witten is a guy that I really respected a lot um, that, you know, not just as a football player, but away from it as a father and kind of, he really lived his life on and off the field and, and um in his faith as well so there's there really were some some good dudes up there and some some guys that you know would encourage you john kitten was another guy yeah. um, we always had an interesting relationship because you know we're kind of competing for the same job and yeah. so he was kind of hard on me so but he's a strong believer and a really good guy uh, and now he's back with with them uh, as a coach yeah i was hoping he was going to be the oc over yeah Kellen over Kellen. yeah uh you mentioned John Kitna he's in Kingdom Men Rising which is uh a movie that has like Tony Evans and yeah. Tony Dungy yeah. in it that just came out um speaking very openly about his faith and I know a couple of people that have gone to see it and really really loved it so it's it's awesome to hear that you know a guy like John Kitna wasn't isn't just looking back over his life and saying okay here's what I believe it's something that he lived out in the locker room even yeah. Even to a guy like you, who you guys are competing for the same job, and yet, you know, at the end of the day, you're both children of God, right? Yeah. Um, so that is awesome to hear. He's yeah, he's a stud. He he really was. He's always really close with Tony Evans and um, Kidna is a he's a funny cat too, man. He's <laughs> he's he's one of those Washington State guys, you know, uh. and so. <laughs> He's from Tacoma, the Tacoma Aroma. <laughs> they have a paper mill plant up there, and it stunk apparently. And so, I like to remind him of this whenever I had the opportunity to speak in the quarterback room, which wasn't often. So generally, it was him, you know, kind of delivering the blows. But we had some good times in that room. Well, that's awesome. Uh, what would be one thing that you would, I guess, suggest to, especially college level kids, whether you're coming into college or you know, even guys like us, I'm graduating. Luke is, you know, getting close to that. What would be kind of your... You only got, what, five years left? <laughs> hey, us redheads are smarter than you think. <laughs> Depends on how many rounds of golf you play your senior year, well, right? Hopefully a lot. Uh, um, what would be kind of one one crucial piece of advice that you would give to a college age, male especially, uh, that's looking to take on more of a leadership role as they mature in their faith? That's a that's a great question, and I always feel like I'm not really one to give advice. I, I think through my own failures, though, you, yeah, I think it's just trying to grab onto things that will last, relationships that'll last, that are that are rooted in 
something more than just a temporary satisfaction um, or joy. Um, excuse me, happiness, not joy. Um, I, you know, I think that there's this temptation to, you know, just seek something to make you happy today. And uh, whether it's a job or a relationship or, uh, you know, all those types of things. And I, I, the older I get and the more hair I lose, I'd realize that um, really there's no amount of money that'll ever make you happy enough. Uh, it's, so it's really not that. It's not really the, you know, the job title. Uh, I've been anywhere from a janitor up to an NFL quarterback. So I've had every job title in between. Like that doesn't really make you happy. But I think it's those relationships with, um, you know, being for me, you know, my wife, you know, that's a, I think an incredible gift. Yeah. Um, but it can be an incredible curse too if you make them mad. Yeah. <laughs> you get the wrong one. <laughs> so get the right one. Um, ah, sage advice. Let me jot that down. <laughs> yeah. But then I think those relationships too that you guys have, like, you know, your friendships today, you know, and just maintaining those things and guys that can pour into your life and encourage you and iron sharpens iron. And I, those, I think that there's some great wisdom to be had from people that are probably in your life currently that been down the road before and that mm -hmm. can just share their life story. Yeah, absolutely. Is that a terrible answer? No, no, no. that was great. That's, Did I go all over? No, absolutely not. All around no, the world. That, Summing it down, relationships, iron sharpens iron. Yeah, no. Seek people out that can give you wisdom pour into you. It's great advice. And I mean, something that I, we need to hear, right, as, as young guys, that there isn't one there, there isn't one just correct answer other than follow Jesus, right? Obey right. Jesus. Um, but to hear your experience and to hear that, look, you know, relationships are a big deal. Take care of them. That's something that, you know, as you and I get busier, that can be tougher to maintain. Um, and as hard as Luke tries to run away from me, I'm not going to let this friend die. Um, oh <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Um, but no, I, I think that is... Did we just become best friends? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that was the next, next line there. My, that is really uh, sage advice, and I appreciate that. This, this probably we could do a whole podcast on this, but my question is, how did getting married challenge slash open your eyes to new aspect on your faith? Because... I mean, Mitch has a girlfriend. I'm still rocking the bachelor life, so I have time to prepare uh, <laughs> for marriage. But I guess, like, how does how has it challenged your faith or I, opened your eyes to something new? I think it opened my eyes to how selfish I was and how everything in my world centered on me. Mm -hmm. um, and you get married, and all of a sudden, it changes the game. Um, and then you also get this burden I've never had before, and it's this burden of not only feeling the need to, but the want to provide mm -hmm. and take care of someone you didn't previously have. Um, you know, I, and I think it, you know, marriage is a struggle. Uh, anybody that tells you it's, that it's not is, is lying. Um, and I'm married to an incredible woman. Uh, she is an absolute gift from God. I, I, I love her incredibly. I, but man, it is especially early years in marriage, um, I think the further I get along and the more I look back on them, man, I, I was a jerk. I was just, like, I was just focused on me. Like I wasn't being, uh, you know, loving this woman well. And, uh, you know, that's, it, it almost like makes me mad 
at my old, sure. you know, uh, but it's also a joy knowing that, you know, God's brought me from that. He's opened my eyes to how I can be a better man. I think it's helped me in obviously my relationship with my wife, but also other relationships, man, like you didn't, you, my wife and I called me out on something, um, but I didn't have, you know, she knows me better than anybody else in the world. So now all of a sudden it's like, man, I, I'm doing that in other relationships. And so, um, you know, I think having a godly woman there to encourage you and, you know, when I got cut, you know, who was my biggest cheerleader? You know, she's, so it, obviously an, an incredible, and I don't want to start getting choked up on air in front of you guys, <laughs> but, uh, you know, she's, a, she's an incredible woman and been an incredible blessing for me. No, it's fantastic to hear. Um, I think great, great advice and it's authentic. It's, it's very clear that, you know, that's exactly what you, you're speaking from the heart and, you know, for us, for any of our listeners and, and for us, that just means oh, my heart's over here. Um, <laughs> that means not the, the right side. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe help back about red and smarts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I uh, <laughs> didn't give a lot of credibility to my previous statement about red head uh, intelligence. You're, uh, <laughs> you're amazing. Sorry to ruin we'll, your moment there, Mitch. We'll let that slide. Yeah, um, that's okay. I think this has been a fantastic podcast, and I mean. Stephen, you know, this has been an incredible honor for, for both of us. I know Luke has a little bit more interaction with you here because he works on, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. But, you know, from a guy who's watched you play and now get to interact with you and hear about your faith, this has been a, a tremendous honor for me, and I'm just really, really thankful uh, for the time that you've given us. Thank you guys for your time. This has been an incredible honor for me. Awesome. I finally made the <laughs> double coverage cast. <laughs> I've uh, arrived. You, you are right. on a very short list of guys that have been on the show. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, well, maybe, maybe Steven's the jump start for that list. Maybe, maybe before so. before you leave town, we need to go across uh, the street here and get a couple rounds in. I'm I didn't know y'all were such golfers. I'm. Oh well, Luke is. I, I have the itch. That's that's pretty much where I'll I'll draw draw the line. I um I've been f I've been forcefully bitten by the golf bug for a few years now, and yeah. I love it. I mean, I'm I'm down. <laughs> no going back. But be prepared to just mock openly because woo, my mid game is not very good. But, hey, um, you you play a lot though, right? I play a lot, but Did I you still grow up goof. I don't golf. No. <laughs> you, you goof, not golf. That's, That's right. See, I like I'm going yeah. to steal that. There's I go out for a good mantra. time. I like to drink a cold beer. Yeah. I like to hang out, listen to music. And I like to feel okay if I'm three fairways over. There's, and at A&M, wow, you still you got a shot. became my <laughs> hero. Oh, my god. Yeah, goodness. but if you go to Briarcrest, which you, you probably you don't play with the, 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 the low-end Briarcrest. You're over, <laughs> you're over at Miramont Traditions. <laughs> <laughs> For us poor men. That could be even further from the truth. I live at Briarcrest <laughs> or A&M. <laughs> For the same reason you do. Yeah. It's 20 bucks on Golf oh, yeah. Now, right? Golf Now, that is... With a cart. Yeah. Uh, but Briarcrest is Tree City. They got... Tr Yes. Plant happy, but yeah, campus course. I mean, the only thing is, I think it's seventeen. If you hit one ten yards left, you're hitting a windshield. Um, <laughs> yeah. So for so my good, ball flight, I'm yeah, fine yeah, because good thing I, I hit a slice high and tight to the right. Oh yeah. yeah, if I ever played around at Briarcrest, you would find an entire set of Pro V ones, probably on hole one in the trees. Pro V ones. Well, like, okay. You told me I'm sticking okay. with the, I'm sticking with the twenty dollar pinnacles. Uh, four sleeves well, of pinnacle you, golf balls, knowing it, I'll lose a few. Wasn't it you that told me you could go to Academy and get the recycled Pro V ones for like twenty? Okay, okay, yeah, That's the refurb. Okay, I thought yeah, you meant not, brand new not ones. Brand new. Oh yeah, no, 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 the refurbs. Yeah, those yeah, are good those too. are fine. I'm hey, just trying to get it straight. Pro V one on the ball. I can still call them that. Right. If you get, if you, if you'll invest in this, this is free wisdom. 
Okay. Just if you want to get out your notepads. Uh, <laughs> um, Keyboard ready. Invest in this club, and it extends to about 10 feet long. I have not bought a golf ball since I've owned that thing. Really? And if you go to play tournament golf ever, you get invited to go to, like, let's say, Maramont. It's gold mine because you have all these old men that buy these brand-new Pro-Vs from the shop, yeah. yep. and it goes a couple inches into the thick stuff, and they give up on it, right? Yeah. Man, that club saves the day. Well, here's your Got problem, Steven. Full bag of balls. You have to be able to find the ball to save it, and that's my problem. <laughs> Let's just say that Schulte Roofing really needs to open up in uh, Biloxi, Mississippi, because I digged a couple of roofs this last weekend. <laughs> Maybe we can get them as a sponsor after that. <clears throat> Just let me hit a couple golf balls and they'll come on the show. That's right. Schulte roofing. <laughs> I love it. Um, but, yeah, I think. All right. Fair enough. Well, if you're in the chimney. But somebody else went in the creek. You're yeah. not really finding your ball. You're finding our ball. That's right. That we paid for. Oh, so that's why I come along. See? That's that's what it is. So it I'm really just keeps your caddy. It keeps your cost per round down, which is good. I like that. Oh. See, this is why he landed a big time finance job. This this is why he's a business mogul. Yeah. Because he just talked about cutting costs when we're just talking about the pleasure of golf. Okay. And you automatically went business. I'm gonna go back and listen to this podcast and just take notes. Cost yeah. per pleasure of round. Let's say it. Mm-hmm. it so it just takes you up a little bit. That's more, right. Right? That, that will end up in the Wall Street Journal. That yeah, quote from Double Coverage Sports yeah. Talk. Oh my goodness. This is our break. Last question. Yes. If you go out and let's say it gets a little hot and you play 15 holes, mm-hmm. isn't it infinitely more fun if you paid $18 for that round of golf as opposed to 90? Like if you want to, if you want to call it up after 15 holes, if you paid 90 bucks, you're going to fight through the last three, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You have to. But when you're in it, you know what? It's not been my day. I'm ready to call it up. The storm's blowing in. I want to get my bag off the cart. Yeah. Right. Or even if you played a full 18, it doesn't matter. You feel Infinitely much. More fun. You feel. I agree 100. I'm all for cheap golf. Yeah. I'm all for cutting costs because I just want to play. Exactly. I don't care if the greens are double tiered or the fairway <laughs> rolling fairways. If I've got grass in a pin, and a club in <laughs> a ball. To, all about the fellowshipping. Yeah. All about the fellowshipping. It's great. Yeah. I like. I like that advice. We're like minded here. Good. Good. Well, I mean, that's that's why we had him on the show, right? We just that's knew right. instantly, oh, Stephen's going to say exactly what we wanted to say that's right. about cutting costs and give us free financial advice. <laughs> no, uh, but, man, I think that's going to do it for episode 37. Stephen, thank you so much for coming thank on and spending part of your time with us. Former Texas A&M and Dallas Cowboys quarterback Stephen McGee uh, on episode 37 of Double Covered Sports Talk. And for myself and Luke Heaton, the final time that we'll be recording here in the Texag studios, it's been a blast. Uh, we'll keep the podcast going from here on out. I've just got to do a little bit of tech wizardry uh, mm. once I get set up in Dallas, and we'll figure that all out. So we will be taking just a little bit of a break from uh, our regularly scheduled one podcast per week, but um, pay attention to our Twitters and to the show uh, on iTunes as well, and we'll we'll send updates and, and figure out when our next show is. But um, that's going to do it for Episode 37 for myself, Mitch Mason, Luke Heaton, Stephen McGee, thank you guys so much for listening. Until next time, y'all take it easy, and we'll talk to you later.